I'm Mike Sims, Publishing Manager at the Poetry Society, and I'm talking to Linda France, poet, tutor, anthologist, Buddhist, and winner of the National Poetry Competition 2013. We're in the studio at the Poetry Society, so if you hear some clanking and banging, that's the urban environment in which we're situated today. So Linda, we met in March when you took to the stage to be presented with a handsome cheque for winning the National Poetry Competition with Bernard and Sorinthi. Can you tell me a little bit how that felt? Obviously, it's very lovely to be presented with a large cheque, especially for a poem. The main thing that I felt uh, at the Savile Club at the prize giving was a sense of relief. I'd known for two months that I was the winner of the National Poetry Competition, but nobody, apart from yourselves, else did. And that's such a hard thing to be keeping that information to myself, something so exciting. It's like it doesn't actually become real till it's reflected back to you by other people in some ways. So I kept sort of thinking, did that really happen? Did Judith really phone me up and tell me that I'd won the National Poetry Competition? So it was just, a, it was just lovely to be out. But you're not new to winning prizes. And in fact, I think you told us not so very long after or before that win that in fact you'd won a few prizes within the year as it were so competitions obviously interest you as a writer can you say something about what they bring to the writing process what you look for in a competition I have little phases of either ignoring the whole world of competitions entirely or little flurries of entering. And it's often, it certainly it was, it has been in this case recently, when I have work that I want to test out, really, I want some feedback on. So I've been making this new work all about plants and gardens, and very much working in the dark, it's felt like. And so I quite consciously, two years or so ago, thought I'm going to enter some of these for some competitions and see see what happens, just see what happens. And I have been really lucky. So I won the Yorkshire Open the year before and then earlier from last year as well, I won the Larkin and East Riding Poetry Prize based at Bridlington. And they were all for poems connected with this work. So it felt like by the time I won the National Poetry Competition with Bernard and Serenthi, that I might be doing something right with this new botanical work. Sounds like you were steadily making your way towards (laughs) the altar to me. As you describe it there, it sounds to me like you're not sort of very conscious that you're writing a competition poem, as it were. People talk about that, don't they, of writing these sort of spectaculars Mm. and that those are the poems that carry off the prizes. Mm. But it doesn't sound like actually that's your approach at all. No, no, not at all. As I say, I was just working quite steadily, really, on, on this new work and testing it out. In fact, for the National Poetry Competition, I entered three, two poems plus my free one as a Poetry Society member. And when I got the call from Judith telling me I didn't know I had no idea which one had won I've actually even still forgotten which is the third I knew I knew what the other one was but I've forgotten what the third one was that I entered and is the anonymity that is of the entrance at the point of submission 
that is part of the national poetry competition is that sort of interesting or important oh, to yes, you I, that feels really really important both as a kind of cloak of invisibility in case you don't win uh, so you can kind of bear the sense of uh, rejection or absence of appreciation at least also yeah I, I don't want people to be influenced by the fact of any association they might have with previous work I've judged competitions myself in the past sometimes you get a sort of sense of oh so and so might have written this or it reminds you of somebody but quite often you are surprised by what you choose but also quite often it might well be written by someone who has published before so they have a sense of what's demanded of a competition poem yeah but I don't I really don't think there's a formula I don't think you could sit down and say I'm going to write a poem that's going to win a competition today i that's certainly not how I couldn't function like that. One of the questions I want to ask you about is advice for people who might mm. be thinking, mm. I've got a poem and I think I might like to enter mm. the National Poetry Competition. Mm. And it, in some ways it sounds as if fresh might be the point for you, that yeah. you know you write something that yeah. feels important but that is fresh. Yeah. You know, that yes. And also I think something that's substantial so that it's got some authority about it. Yes, it's got a freshness, but you've stayed with it long enough to sustain it to its natural conclusion. It's fulfilled its purpose and it's working uh, in all its elements. Well, every poem you write should actually be like that, shouldn't it? But some people, I don't know, give up before the, the last stretch or aren't necessarily tuned to be thinking about that. But those poems that where you have really, really worked it to be the best it can possibly be in all, in all its elements, then that's going to mean that you've got a better chance, I think, for it to just rise to the top. Is the deadline important? Does it figure in your thinking? Do you think, okay, I've got till the 31st of October. That gives me three more weeks to change that line. Does I'm, that help? No, I'm afraid it's not so much part of my mm. working methods and radar. I wouldn't be that calculating. It is a little bit random, actually. So it's more that I look through what I've got and think, mm, what do I think? What hasn't been published? What looks like it might be vaguely good whatever that means you know I'll take a punt so it does feel a little bit like kind of poetry lottery ticket in some ways we know how many people enter these competitions and we know how many great poems there are out there I do some teaching and I'm often really humbled by the quality of the work in the room. You know that you're going to be up against some fantastic poems. It, it, nothing's a dead cert at all. So, yeah, I think you just have to take a chance. I think another interesting aspect of the National Poetry Competition is that it can help bring the poetry community together. Is that something you feel? Yes, I've really, really appreciated the fact that being based in the northeast and, you know, working away there for a number of years, that in winning the National Poetry Competition, I feel as if there's a, conne- a connection's been made with the, with the capital and the Poetry Society and other people, all the other winners who are living in other places. And everyone knows about the Poetry Competition. So there is something very sort of, yeah, integrating as well as making visible about the process of being well that's that's right the national poetry competition does uh, you know winners come from 
right across the UK. They come from all around the world. And that's the point of it, in a way. It needs to single to, well, everybody, readers of poetry everywhere. Mm. Uh, but that good poetry is coming from all places and certainly not just the metropolis. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. <laughs> so Bernard and Sorinthi is, you've already indicated, part of a wider sequence or a longer sequence of poems, a wider project. Can you tell us a little bit about how this, what you're doing, you know, what, how you develop mm-hmm. that project? Mm. In um, 2010, I was Leverhulme Artist-in-Residence at Moorbank, which is Newcastle University's Botanic Garden. And I spent nine months there just responding to the garden. All I had to do was write. And I also made a sculptural installation for the Desert House as well. And I just loved it. I'd written about gardens before and flowers before. It's a theme of mine. It's a preoccupation of mine, a love of mine. But actually being installed there and also something about it being a botanic garden felt important so it had a kind of a connection with science and ecology and order and classification the whole business about names botanical names taxonomy I knew at the end of those nine months that I wanted to do more so I sought some funding And I was very lucky to get an Arts Council grant, a a large Arts Council grant, which allowed me to go to lots of botanic gardens, both in this country and abroad. Yeah, you're quite well-travelled, aren't you? Yeah, well, I've had a fantastic few years. I've had just a great few years. It's, It's been wonderful. I wanted to go out of my comfort zone, so I think that's a great thing for a poet, you know, not to be jaded uh, to be kind of shocked out of your usual interpretation of things reference points and one of the things at Moorbank was I found that despite what I'd anticipated I found it very difficult to write about the plants under glass I thought I'd be swanning around in the warmth the heat of the with all these exotic flowers and I found it very difficult I just kept going outside and writing about trees that were quite familiar that seemed to be because I had a kind of mythological inner cultural context reference point for these and literary as well you know I knew where they fitted and I could call upon that in writing a poem and that seemed the poem seemed to be prompted by that sort of relationship a a familiarity so with the very strange looking plants in doors under glass it was as if I didn't have the vocabulary I just images didn't come naturally it was all very alien very other And I found it quite hard to make that bridge. So for my travels, I wanted to go where these plants would be growing in naturally, their native soil. I went across the equator to Singapore and spent some time in the Botanic Garden there. And I spent two months based at Sydney Botanic Garden and wrote in response to that. And then I came home via Tokyo when the cherry blossom was in bloom. You know, that was one of the things that was on my list of things I had to do before I die. Yeah, (laughs) so that was fantastic. I live in the middle of a field um, in Northumberland. And this was about as different as you could get with this lush environment of Singapore and Sydney. And you've you've used the plants and these collections, these botanical collections, to, as a springboard to a really interesting range of stories, haven't you? I mean, I think your your poem about, the, or one of the poems I've read about the Australian collection, looks at you know the British in Australia, looks at uh, the expansion of empire in uh, you know very interesting, stimulating mm. way. I'm 
very aware in writing about plants that I'm not just writing about plants, actually. It just gives me an excuse to write about lots of other things. I don't know if you remember, Roy Fisher made a film once, poem film once, called Birmingham is What I Think With. Well, I've been thinking uh, the past few years, flowers are what I think with. So they're providing me with a kind of a filter, a, a lens through which to see all sorts of things. So actually the poems, as well as being about the flowers themselves, are about politics, land, ecology, family, spirituality, sex. All sorts of things are made possible through the plants. Medicine is a big layer too. Naming, language itself, perception. It just allows me to go lots of different places. So this sequence, Poetica Botanica, has sort of reached an end. Is that right? You've written all of the poems in the sequence. And somewhat, we've put you on the road too. The Poetry Society has put you on the road as a National Poetry Competition winner. So you are fresh from a gig at Keats House yesterday evening. And you also read at Newcastle University at the NCLA in Newcastle, I think, earlier in this month. And you've got some other gigs coming up as well. Do you want to mention those? Yes. So thanks to you, I'm going to Ledbury in July. Yes, you're reading on the 11th at Ledbury, Friday 11th. That's right. Yes. And also I'll be reading at Poetry International on on the South Bank uh, later in July. On the 20th of July. That's right. Yes. As well as those, I'm also doing a few workshops for the gathering of Friends of the Earth. I've had a kind of nature, ecological connection with them for a few years, which is very good. It feels very good. And I'm teaching also on writing retreat in Scotland towards the end of June at a Buddhist retreat centre called Dharnakosha. We'll be doing a lot of work outside in the garden there. We were talking earlier and I'd like to ask if you might consent to read something from the Poetica Botanica sequence of poems, not Bernard and Cerinthi. You can find that on the Poetry Society website already as our National Poetry Competition winning poem. Have you a poem you'd like to read? Yes. I've just put some of the new poems up. Uh, I've just sent them for the Poetry International site. And one of them is a sequence of pantoons that I wrote from my time at Singapore Botanic Garden. And while I was there, I was reminded that the pantoum is a traditional Malaysian form. And that just felt very appropriate to be writing about Singapore in that form. I'd never written one before, so it was a bit of an experiment. The patterning of it, the repetition, seemed to suit very well the dissonance that I felt, the culture shock really. I left my very snowy field in Northumberland in January and landed at this very hot and sticky Singapore. Yeah, I didn't know where the hell I was, basically. (laughs) And that disorientation seems to be reflected in the pantoon form. So I'll just read the last section of it. One of the things that you could do at Singapore Botanic Garden was walk around it at night and it was particularly lovely to be in a botanic garden at night. They'd lit it very beautifully. You can't hear what you've left behind above the racket of birds, insects and the endless static beyond what you remember 
the silence. Above the racket of birds, insects illuminate the night garden. All you remember is silence, monochrome, a dream's frequency. Illuminated, the night garden revolves around a banyan tree, monochrome. Don't dreams frequently replay old dramas of lostness? Revolving round the banyan tree, you negotiate arrival, rewinding old dramas of lostness, anchored by twisted aerial roots. Once negotiated, arrival fast-forwards into departure, anchored only by aerial roots, or on the wing, bats, sonar, instinct. Fast-forward into departures, you can't hear what you're leaving behind. On the wing, a bat's sonar instinct, endless static beyond listening. That's beautiful, thank you. So just to repeat the details of where you can see and hear Linda's work in future, she'll be reading at the Ledbury Poetry Festival on Friday 11th July, together with other MPC poets Elaine Gaston and Josephine Abbott. That's at 12.45 in the Burgage Hall. And then also as part of Poetry International, she'll be reading with Joe Shatcott, Tom Warner and Liz Berry on Sunday 20th July at 2pm. I urge you to go along and also to look out for other events. Details to be confirmed in future.